Welcome everyone to the 30-minute Midas Touch from beautiful Dyersburg, Tennessee at the Herb Welsh Wrestleplex. Now, here is pound for pound and inch for inch, the best of the best in professional wrestling today. A wrestling genius worth his weight in gold. The Golden Boy, Greg Anthony. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, on the latest edition of the 30-minute Midas Touch. I am your host, the Golden Boy, Greg Anthony, and with me this week is, of course, the Missing Mulkey, <laughs> Mark Tipton. The Missing Mulkey. Okay. Uh, I do appreciate these introductions. Uh, they never cease to entertain me and uh, certainly get the show off for me, and I hope for the audience, off to a very good start with a good laugh because ultimately this is we're talking about something we love and having a good time uh today uh, our subject is something that i want to talk about because in our society we have things that are known as thankless jobs uh and that's kind of what the subject of this is there are people who do jobs that are necessary for the success of success of an organization excuse me uh, to keep things going and to be a part of an organization or a show who don't really get the limelight and don't get appreciated the way they should. These people in the world of professional wrestling, they're what I would like to, in a nicer way, refer to as perhaps enhancement talent. Uh, some people have used that term. But the more common term that I hear, even among people in the audience and I'm, we'll get into that a little bit, as much as it dismays me. I hear the term among people in the audience from time to time, and that is they're commonly known as jobbers. I guess for the beginning, uh, to start on this subject, let's start with a what, you know, from a professional point of view, what is the defi true definition of jobber? Yeah, true definition is a, is a very good way to put it because this is one of these things that has this, it's, it has this huge misconception around it. Once the internet happened and once fans kind of got a hold of a word and kind of loosely based knew what it meant, they took it and made it mean something completely different, right? So the word jobber is, is, is for the guy that was on television back in the studio wrestling days that he couldn't take a hip toss. He couldn't take a backdrop. He was just, he was horrible in every way. Maybe he just didn't have enough training, maybe whatever it was, but he couldn't do anything. And he was basically 100% just meat for whoever the star was, right? And he was fed to the stars. That's all he was. Um, the misconception around the word jobber now is like we see Dolph Ziggler get beat three times on Monday Night Raw in a row. And then everybody online's, oh, he's a jobber now. That's not how the term is at all. You understand? And it's completely disrespectful to Dolph, to all those guys. And there's a lot of guys over the years that have been called jobbers, you know, and, and that wasn't their term. Jobbers, were, like I said, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't take anything. They definitely weren't under contract. You understand? They were just there to take their ass whooping. And, and move on. They were they were nameless and faceless a lot of times, and that's what a true jobber is. So when the, when when some of these other wrestlers get branded as well, they're just a jobber. That's completely inaccurate <laughs> in the history of professional wrestling. And they can try to change the meaning as much as they want, but it doesn't change the core belief of it and what it really means. 
All right. All right. I want to thank you for starting on that. Uh, you you actually got into something that that has been that's a sore spot with me when this comes up because you just referenced someone in the case of Dolph, Z Dolph Ziggler you mentioned who is a former world champion. This is you know he who if we go back once upon a time had a money in the bank contract cashed it in to one of the biggest reactions and money. I, I was watching it live at the time and I was just as excited and enthralled as everyone else was. And so now to see, well, now he's just this. No, he's not just this. We've already seen what he can do. We know what kind of capability he has and to diminish him or someone who is very talented in the ring because they're playing a different role now is very insulting to them, and and I don't appreciate it when I hear it directed at a professional. Right, absolutely, and like, and there's been lots of guys over the years that have been, you know, kind of pigeon pigeon held with with that that term. You know, a guy like Barry Horowitz, for instance. You know, he Barry Horowitz, in my opinion, is is not a jobber. Did he put a lot of people over? Yes, but the thing with Barry Horowitz is, and a lot of guys we're going to talk about today is. He could go out there and he could get demolished in three minutes by somebody and probably give them the best three-minute match of their career. Or he could go out there and go 30 minutes with Bret Hart. It, it entirely depended on what the company needed of him on that particular day. You know what I mean? To me, that's a worker. So you look at Barry Horowitz, and I, I'm, I'm thinking to this now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he made a living in professional wrestling for 20-plus years. You know, and as his sole income. So to say that he was nothing more than a jobber is very insulting to uh, someone that was basically just a professional. You know, he did what was asked of him to the best of his ability. Not everyone can be Hulk Hogan. Not everyone can be Randy Savage. Not everyone can be Shawn Michaels and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. We, the the enhancement talent, as you say, or the job guy or however you want to say it, all those guys served a purpose for the larger scale. You know, so when Barry Horace would go out and, and put over Bret Hart, he was doing it out of um, out of necessity because we have to create stars. A lot of these guys are really, if you're going to give them a turn, the term would be carpenters. Carpenters were terms that, of guys that went in and built a territory or, or built a guy or whatever it is. They helped build those stars. Well, yeah, thank you for going on that because this is it's one of the things about professional wrestling that it is different than anything else and. I guess what I want to stand is when I look at other areas of entertainment, let me take it out of this, uh, or let's stay even in sports. In professional basketball, there every year there is an award given to the sixth man of the year. It's not the award given to the guy who's not good enough to start. It's an award given to a guy who is talented, who is a professional basketball player, who made the NBA, you know, the top 1% of the 1% or however you want to say it. He's Now, he may not be in the role of someone who is starting, but that doesn't diminish him or the role he plays or how important he can be to the team being successful. And we can say much the same thing in the world of acting. It is possible to be a lifelong supporting actor who receives Academy Awards not the guy who was never good enough to be the lead star. And so when I when I see this, it uh, it frustrates me immensely. But I do understand that, and I appreciate the, the use of the term carpenter. I like that. The term jobber, as it's used, uh, even among when I'm sitting in the audience, I've been at WWE events, and, you know, uh, I guess what I think of as a jobber is the guy who comes out, you know, while the lights are down with no music, 
It's just uh, you come back from commercial, the lights come back up, and he's standing in the ring. Uh, oftentimes, he may not even have his name mentioned. Um, he just you're just waiting for the star to come down, and and he and the guy does the best he can. In that case, it's someone who's not going to hit a single offensive maneuver. The match usually starts with him getting mauled into the corner, you know, and something like that. And I understand that, but that guy, he's doing a job, and that's what he's asked to do, and he's doing it as a professional. But it frustrates me when I hear people doing a vital role not being appreciated, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and it kind of, it all, we've talked about this several times on the podcast so far, but it all comes down to once WWE opened back that curtain and started telling people, hey, you know, this is all phony, this is all a show, this is all this. And I said, once people believed that all these decisions became arbitrary, then it was like, you know, your career isn't worth anything unless you main event at WrestleMania now. You understand? Like, everyone has that mentality, like, you're either The Rock or you're nothing. You understand? And that's not that's not a... I don't think that's a healthy way to look at our business because obviously, like you said, these these guys play a, a vital role in what's going on. Yes, you want to be successful. Yes, you want to be the biggest star you can be. But, you know, sometimes timing's everything. Sometimes, you know, you just don't have that level of talent to get to that point. But it doesn't mean that you're that you're not a capable person in your profession. And that's, that's what a lot of these guys are. Um, you know, you talked about the guys that would, you know, they would come to the ring with no lights and all of a sudden, you know, oh, in this corner, you know, whoever, right? Well, you know, there, there was a host of those guys that maybe they never won any matches, but like the other wrestlers recognized, you know, that they were good and they would actually, you know, let them get stuff in and stuff like that. One of my favorites is a guy named Bob Cook. You know who I've actually become friends with through Facebook. <laughs> Believe it or not, we met at uh, I think we met at Colorado Alley several years ago. But um, he was one of those guys. He was on WCW. You know he was trained by uh, Boris Malenko and things like that. And he's a really good talent and actually has one of the best punches I've seen in professional wrestling. And like that's what a lot of guys put over when they talk about. I think Arn Anderson even just recently said something about Bob Cook on his podcast. You know, and there's there's just certain guys that everyone understood like, hey, these guys aren't beneath me necessarily. It's just they're not getting the same opportunities as me, but they're good. So I'm not gonna go out there and just eat their lunch one hundred percent. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shine. We're gonna have a little bit of ma- back and forth match. Obviously I'm the star and I'm supposed to get the win, but we need to get him over just a little bit too. You know? All right. Well I appreciate that. And mentioning the names there, uh I'd I'd like to go a little more along that because I I try to imagine myself if I'm just in the audience listening to us have this conversation, perhaps to help me understand what the idea of jobber versus carpenter or, you know, and appreciating the roles that everybody has. If we, uh, you know, I'd like to cite some examples and go over, say, you know, and a little appreciation for this guy, for a guy who during his career often didn't get much. Right. And so I'd like to do that here if we could. Sure, sure. Uh, is there anyone in particular that comes, you know, kind of comes to mind here? Well, I actually have – there's one guy that I actually fell down the rabbit hole on YouTube recently, and his name's Rusty Brooks. Now, I'd, say, I'd seen Rusty Brooks on, on random stuff throughout the years, um, but it was just one of those things, like, I, I saw a match, and, I, you know, I saw he was kind of good, and I kind of started, I went and watched about seven or eight, ten of his matches, you know, and, like, he was really good. He was, he was a heavy set guy. He was probably, you know, not much taller than me, but he just, he moved like a wrestler, 
You understand? And he, you know, he was short and he was kind of dumpy. He almost looked like, you know, Humpty Dumpty. That's kind of what he looked like. And he, he, he looked kind of older. His hair was, you know, he had a bald spot and things like that. He didn't look like he was going to be a star, but he had one of those situations where, you know, he, he exceeded expectations. You know, when, before the bell rings, you're looking at the guy, you're like, oh, this guy has no chance at all. Right. Then all of a sudden he starts working and you're like, oh, wow, this guy can actually go a little bit. You know what I mean? And, uh, I actually I did some research on him. Same thing. He was trained by Boris Malenko and kind of helped with his school a little bit too. So Malenko turned out obviously a lot of good talents in general. But yeah, he was Brooks was uh, he was he was probably I'd say about four hundred pounds, but he was shorter, right? So it looked more compact too. But he could he could move a little bit. He could hit the ropes and bump bump, and he had a great he had a great punch and just selling in general, you know. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned Barry Horowitz, who I remember he, and you know, I, I can see him now, famous for patting himself on the back. I, I still do that to this day. <laughs> I, I, I remember that well. But uh, he had a career in both, if memory serves, in WWE and WCW, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. Uh, very successful, a uh, long time. Uh, it reminded me of other people in that role. Uh, one of them would be the Brooklyn Brawler, who was around the WWF for quite some time had a defined character he wasn't some anonymous individual but oftentimes might be referred to as a jobber yeah and it's one of those things like you know you know he he never really got a win on television he never did this never did that but he became an integral part of the of the corporate structure of wwe and he actually he was basically the testing ground for a lot of guys like i actually think the rock had his first match with wwe against the Brooklyn Brawler. And it, he was kind of the, he was the benchmark of, hey, should we take a further look at this guy or should we not? You know what I mean? I think Rock had hit the uh, the double vertical, which is the guy hits the ropes, he verticals over him, and the guy hits the ropes behind him and Rock verticals him and they run under backwards. So double vertical, right? Rock had hit that on him and, like, everyone just about shit their pants because, like, it had been so long since they'd seen a double vertical, and especially from a guy the size of the Rock at the time, Right. So like yeah, a lot of those guys were they're used in that capacity. Like they're teachers, they're carpenters, they're 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 there to assess other talent and see what's going. That was kind of uh, Brawler's role, and then eventually he became like, you know, behind the scenes. I'm sure, I think he helped with promos and just overall presentation at WWE. So like his fingerprint is on, you know, thirty years of WWE, thirty forty years of WWE. So. All right, certainly. Well, another name and. If we mentioned this, I apologize. Mentioned his name before, but uh, along the same lines was Iron Mike Sharp was someone who came to mind. Now, as I recall, he always had the large Canada's greatest athlete. Yes, Iron Mike Sharp, and he always had a a gaunt a gaunt. Yes, thank you for the word. I was trying to think of what it was, but I always remember it as that. But certainly never a guy who was going to you know headline a card. Right. But I so I'm not sure about Iron Mike's career. You know, he he was in WWE kind of late. You know what I mean? Like later in his career. So I think he may have been like on top in some of the territories up in Canada and actually did really well. But of course, he was winding down. And it was time to make some money and, you know, maybe save up for like we talked about for that nest egg. So like, but yeah, he ended up being what, like I said, a lot of uneducated fans would call a jobber just because they probably never saw him one on television. But what he was really doing was he was building the next generation of stars, you know, and that's what a lot of this is. It's, it's building for the future. You know, we're not necessarily worried about, you know, the right here, right now in my ego, we're worried about, Hey, this guy can probably draw some money in about five years. So let's get him some wins on television. So, you know, they can see what he can do. All right. 
Well, I guess another name uh, that I want to let you talk about there is the name of Dusty Wolf comes up. Uh, let you speak about him a little bit. He's not someone I'm as familiar with, right? But I let you speak about I, him a little yeah, bit. I worked Dusty Wolf. Dusty ended up doing. Um, Dusty's done a lot of things. He's kind of like um, uh, when you say. I think he wrote a book, and it was actually called Journeyman, like the Journeyman of Professional Wrestling, or something like that. But yeah, that's basically what he was. He made a living in professional wrestling for many, many years. He was a you know he was a enhancement talent in WWE, like we talked about. But he also, I think, he played Doink. After Bourne was gone and Steve Kern was doing it, I think he did some on some of the house show stuff and stuff like that. So he ended up playing the Doink character some. And then he ended up, you know, I think he helped mold and shape a lot of the talents down in in Texas, on the independent scene down there, you know. So, like, and like I said, I worked him and everything was fine, you know, when we worked him. So, I mean, he's he's another guy that, you know, I think they – they may have ate his lunch a couple times, but, like, they still let him have a little bit here and there. And the, he was one of the boys that rode the road. You know what I mean? They didn't treat him like, you know, this leper. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, these guys had respect, too. You know what I mean? Just because they weren't on the top of the card, we need they, they needed them. They needed them to, like, to build and build and build and build. All right. Well, I had an idea to take a, a little bit different direction, but was there anybody else in particular you wanted to mention? Yeah, I mean, let's – this one's kind of kind of half and half, okay? So we're talking about job guys, and we're talking about, you know, like I said, these carpenter kind of guys. Well, in the middle of that, there's guys that just – I think that just the wrestlers just liked, you know what I mean? And and the Mulkies from the NWA, the brother tag team, the Mulkey brothers, I think they fit that mold perfectly because, you know, they weren't much to look at, obviously. They weren't, you know, super impressive in the ring. They really didn't get that much offense – but man, did the fans love them? For some reason, they were they were everyone's favorite underdog. You know what I mean? And they would go out there and they get demolished sometimes. But this one glorious day, and I remember this vividly, this one glorious day, they wrestled a, a tag team called the Gladiators, a mass team called the Gladiators, and uh, the Gladiators come out and they start beating down the Mulkies, right? And one goes to pick one of the Mulkies up from the apron on a body slam and bring him into the ring. Well, he goes to bring him in the ring. Well, the other Mulkey had been selling, got knocked down behind him, and he was on all fours, and he tripped over the other Mulkey, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, one, two, three, the Mulkeys win, oh, right? No. And it was one of the biggest I, – I, I, you have to go on YouTube. I'm not sure how many views it has, but I'm sure it has a lot of views <laughs> because it was one of those things like as a kid, like when you're watching it, and you see the Mulkeys get demolished every week. Then all of a sudden they get a win like that. And it didn't matter if it was against a made-up tag team that I'd never seen before in the Gladiators, right. but they they well, did it. Well, it would almost be the Washington Generals getting a win over the Globetrotters. Right, yeah, something like that. <laughs> if, if everyone hated the Globetrotters, <laughs> if that was the case, because they hated it for some you know, the Gladiators, everyone just knew, like, oh, we hate those guys. Come on, Mulkies. Oh, they won. <laughs> all right. Well, if you don't mind, I want to show a little bit of my – West Tennessee slash Memphis bias here a little bit, sure. and to help uh, to help illustrate what we're talking about here is I, I I watched a little YouTube video. I was just trying to get ready as we were about to talk about this, and to me to demonstrate the difference is some guys who participated regularly on Saturday morning television. For instance, one match I saw on one side of the ring was the Fabulous Ones, Dutch Mantel, and Superstar Bill Dundee. Okay. And the eight-man tag on the other side, as Dave Brown noted, all from parts unknown, mm -hmm. all of these individuals from parts unknown, uh -huh. who are four masked men, 
they were a tag team called the Destroyers, another masked man named the Invader, and one called the Masked Marauder. Right. None of them, to me, that was the quintessential imbalance and guys who were unidentified, all from parts unknown, just masked guys, they would be the guys that I would probably say would more fit the definition of jobber. Would that be fair? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, just like I said, it's more, it's more or less the guys that were – literally they were so bad that they had no future in wrestling. And, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to put them on television anyway, and we're going to beat the hell out of them. That's okay. what a real jobber was. Yeah. You know he's going to get no offense. He's going to get no offense. He, he can't do anything anyway, so I'm really going to body slam him. I'm really going to arm drag him. I'm really going to do all these things to him. Like, okay, there, there's this ongoing argument in professional wrestling with the new generation and the old generation. The new generation says, oh, it's everything's fake and phony anyway, blah, blah, blah. Like, like an Irish whip. You can't really Irish whip somebody. Right, that's their big thing to to prove that wrestling's fake and that it's always been fake, and we need to all calm down. Right? Well, guys, guess what? I saw Bill Dundee legitimately Irish whip many, many guys on Memphis television many times. Okay, these job guys that we're talking about, when Bill was in the ring with these job guys that didn't know their their head from their ass, he would legitimately shoot them into the rope, and they would stumble, fall, hit the rope, and they'd either have to fall through the rope or bounce back. And when they bounced back, he would cold cock the living hell out of them. You know what I mean, Sam? Because what happened if he threw a working clothesline or a working punch and the guy who wasn't good enough to know any better didn't bump or didn't do anything, didn't sell to anything, didn't make Bill Dundee look like shit, right? So he would shoot him in the rope. They would legitimately hit. They would legitimately come off. And he would legitimately clothesline them or punch them in the face and they would have to sell <laughs> right? because it was real. Yeah, a right? guy who may not have that talent yeah. for being able to do it. Or you run the risk of, uh, well, let me just say, if a guy went down too soon, right, before they even reached mm-hmm. and made contact and make everybody look bad, yeah, uh, I would like to kind of differentiate those anonymous figures from uh, a series of guys in the Memphis time period. I want to say a guy like Jim Jameson. Right, he, he was a name I saw regularly on Saturday mornings. And you want to talk about the TD Steels, and there were a number of others. Um, I'm saying Fridge Thompson. And there freezer, was a freezer, freezer top, excuse me. Uh, I'm, my memory is struggling. And uh, there was a there was a manager, Boss Winters, had a tag team. I think it was Rough and Ready. Yeah. Uh, there were lots of guys who you weren't ever going to see highlighted at the Coliseum on Monday night. Mm-hmm. But they were guys who were, for me, a big part of Memphis wrestling. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. You need You need a host of those kind of guys. And that's what's partly what's hurting professional wrestling nowadays is that Everyone thinks they're a star, so no one wants to do that job. You understand? No one wants to be that guy, but we really need it. You know, like, okay, so WWE, you know, they basically are of the mindset now, like, we hire everybody, right? And we'll just take whoever we don't believe in or whatever, and basically they'll be our enhancement guys, right? So, like, their theory is, well, if if um, Roman Reigns beats this enhancement guy, and this enhancement guy actually looks pretty good and works pretty good and stuff like that, then it makes Roman look bigger and stronger. Okay, that, that's a legitimate theory, and I completely understand it. But here's the thing. Wrestling was built off selling the match, right? So what we were doing with these jobbers and enhancement talents and things like that was they were wrestling people that obviously were not in their league. They were wrestling guys that were – subpart of them physically, mentally, and athletically, and uh, professionally, right? So you would show him beating those kind of guys for six weeks, 
Then over here, you would show them another guy beating those kind of guys for six weeks. And then you go on television and go, well, now this guy's going to wrestle that guy. And you go, oh, yeah, I want to see that. You know what I mean? Because you built up both these guys of being actual professional wrestlers, and they had mowed through all this other talent that wasn't on their level. Now they're going to come together and see what it is, and that's what we're trying to sell. So, like I said, nowadays they're 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 hiring guys, and these guys are they look like a million bucks too. You know, in some cases, the guy the enhancement talent is in better shape than the guy that's beating them, right? So, like, where is the draw in that? Like, you, you understand, like, where is the, ooh, wow, I can't wait to see that happen, right? Like, if he's already going to go against a star, well, I've already seen him go against four guys that I think were pretty good, but you just guys just buried him. Does that make sense? Certainly. Uh, and, and right now, if I could, I'd like to slip in someone I feel is a terribly underappreciated person who, uh, who older wrestling fans will remember. From the classic, for well, is known as 605. You'll see lots of references to 605 on the Superstation. For me, it was 505 because of where I live. Uh, but routinely on the Superstation on Saturday afternoons, I would see in particular an individual who was known as and introduced as the Alabama Junior Heavyweight Champion, Mike Jackson. And I would see him week after week getting into the ring with the top talent of WCW at the time, and certainly more than hold his own. Uh, but he was never going to be the guy at the Omni, the, the you know, build into the big match at the Omni. Uh, he was a guy who I felt was really underappreciated. And I'll say, let you talk about him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, Mike, ja- I know Mike. Um, I haven't seen him in years, but we worked, we worked several shows together, and he's still amazing and that's even back then like we talk about this now like okay mike was in charge of bringing these enhancement guys in right so like what would happen was um mike would book these guys and then like say mike was in a tag match against arn and tully right well mike would get in there first and arn and tully would would work with him and he's good i mean mike's always been good right so he would get in there and he would have these really good shine things with with tully and arn then he tagged the other guy and the other guy would get you know demolished and beat right but like they always respected mike and he always got a lot in i mean even him and flair you know him flair would would go back and forth all the time you know like you watch that kind of stuff i, I heard george south that's another guy george south is another guy like that but i heard george south one time say that you know Flair would basically walk up to him and say, okay, you're steamboat today, brother. And, like, he would, they would go out there and just work, you know what I mean? Because they knew these guys were good. It was just, okay, they're enhancement guys. But they're still good. We're going to go out there and put on a show, you know, that kind of thing. But Mike, the first time I saw Mike live, you know, he, he Matt Riviera had booked him. And, you know, Mike was probably early 60s at this point, right? Uh, I, I'm going to guess early 60s. And he went out there, and he had a junior heavyweight match with a kid that was 20, and he was doing topes and dives. He he did the Undertaker, you know, the Undertaker old school. Well, he got the guy by the hand, right, and he strutted down the top rope. Mike did, <laughs> right, and then jumped off and arm dragged the guy, right. And it was like, what did I just watch, right? And Mike was actually just recently on Impact. You know, he's 70-something now. You know, and he went on impact and had a match and it was, I mean, it was a good match, you know, a 70 year old guy and he's still out there going, you know what I mean? And, and like, it's just, like I said, when, when someone can work, they can work, you know, sometimes they don't get the, um, 
the opportunities to be, you know, like we said, headline WrestleMania, Madison Square Garden, you know, you know, world heavyweight champion, whatever it may be. But it doesn't mean that their careers are worthless by any means. These guys are 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 very talented people. You can learn a lot from them in a lot of cases, you know. And you know, like I love Mike Jackson, and I love Bob Cook, and I love Rusty Brooks, and I love a lot of these guys, you know. And I'll go, I'll go search their matches just to watch that, you know, see how they dealt with some stuff, you know. So yeah, it's it's always fun to watch those guys. All right, I know uh, time's probably drawing short here. I'm, I, I guess we're pretty close. Um, I guess if I could sneak in one last thing, this would this is really out of left field, but I want to see what you thought about. One of the things that happened, now this was in the, I guess it was in the 90s more or less, but we had the advent, I believe it started in ECW, and that was the Job Squad. Uh, When that came about, do you think that led into this misperception? It kind of capitalized on it and made it popular to disrespect these guys. Yeah, I think think it more or less, like you said, it capitalized on it. You know, people were already saying those things and kind of, mid-card and jobber and like they were using these terms and like i said not really knowing what they actually meant and they were trying to take them hold them and make them their own kind of thing but like yeah i don't like i know it's it's very ironic we're we're on a podcast talking about anything and everything professional wrestling behind the stage and and whatnot for me to say i don't like those terms i don't want to hear job squad on television i don't want to hear heel baby face you know, sell, draw. I don't want to hear those kind of terms on a professional wrestling show. I, I want it. If you're going to project that this is, is real and this is a sport and this is, then we need to project it as such. And every time you use those terms, it completely snaps you out of your suspension of disbelief, you know, and you're sit there, you know, going, Oh yeah, I forgot. I'm, I'm just watching a show. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Just uh, for getting on there a little bit. Cause I just remember cre- Well, I guess cringe is the right word to say when I would see guys, and I believe they even wear these T-shirts into the ring. They would wear Job Squad one, two, three, and on the back it would say "Pin, Pin me, me, Pay, pay Me,", me. Yeah. which was so cringy. Yeah, right. And well, even now, like a big thing now is hashtag heel. Like Ziggler did that stuff too, and it's like, oh. like who? No, just and that's the thing. Like heels don't know that they're heels. Heels think that they're in the right. You know what I mean? They don't know that they're bad guys. They're supposed to be like. You know, they're the they're the victims in all this. You understand? And no one's on their side, you know. But, you know, no one gets that part of it. <laughs> well, I guess very, just to wrap up, basically we want, we want to express our appreciation, and I will personally express my pers- appreciation as a member of the audience for the role these guys play. Absolutely. And, and uh, like I said, you know, a lot of these guys, search them out. You know, go find them. If you, if you guys got any – any of your favorite enhancement guys or guys that you feel are being uh, unjustly uh, categorized as jobbers, then drop me a line and let me know. But I want to thank my uh, co-host today, the missing Mulkey, Mark Tipton. This has been the 30-Minute Midas Touch. I am the Golden Boy, Greg Anthony. Thank you and goodbye.